welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lewis. Really excited to be here again with you today. Today, I'm really excited to bring on Shafia Zaloum. And Shafia is a educator. She is a passionate person that is really working to help all of us to be able to better understand human development, but really about how our kids are are seeing sex, health ed, you know, a little bit of everything. And today we're going to be talking about healthy relationships. You know, we've talked about talking to your kids about about sex, about puberty, and we've talked about these things before. Not always an easy topic for dads to talk about or any parent really to talk about, but but it is important to, that dads are a part of this conversation. And I am really excited to be able to to delve a little bit deeper this time into healthy relationships because I know as a father of two girls myself, I want my girls to have healthy relationships, whether it be with friends or with boyfriends or girlfriends or whoever they may be trying to have relationships with. And it's important to be able to, from an early age, find ways to be able to pave the way for that. So thank you so much for being here. And I'm really excited to be able to talk about this topic with you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for your interest in having me. You know, I think first and foremost, to jump right into this, I want to be able to define healthy relationships because I think that when we talk about that, it could easily be defined in many different ways in the minds of the the, the people that are listening today. So can you give me a definition of what a healthy relationship is when you're talking about it? Absolutely. So I think what's important is to, I mean, let's simplify it. When it comes to relationships, there should be, or we want there to be authentic connection and a sense of belonging within that connection. And a lot of times it's really important. I always encourage parents to be really explicit and concrete about language um, when they are teaching it to their children. Because one of the most important things that we can do is to actually give kids the language with which to express what a a relationship looks, sounds, and feels like to them, right? So that when we give them that language, then a whole world opens up in terms of how we can identify, discuss, process what's happening in their relationships. And to be really explicit too about the difference between feelings and relationship skills, right? So there's a combination of things that are involved when it comes to a healthy relationship. In its simplest form, I think a sense of belonging and how that's different from having to fit in is important. And you can talk about it on a very fundamental level. So personally, so how a kid feels a sense of belonging within themselves so that then they end up carrying that with them wherever they go, they carry it in their heart right? And then a sense of belonging within a relationship, which is really important in that we feel we can be our true selves and safe as our true selves within that relationship. And then a sense of belonging within our communities and the people that we surround ourselves with on a broader scale, right? So how we feel safe, how we feel that we belong, that we can connect in authentic ways where people will accept us for who we truly are. Fitting in is strategically assessing a situation and changing who we are to try to fit into someone else's definition or someone else's mold of who we should be versus who we actually are and are evolving to be, how we're discovering our own self. 
Um, and so I think that that's really important to understand initially as we sort of delve into the conversation of, well, how do you cultivate that across developmental stages in kids and with adults? So really a sense of belonging, which ultimately leads to empowerment, right? And there's a lot of misconception around what empowerment is in our culture right now. A lot of people feel that empowerment is some performative sort of conquest in some way. Um, It's really not. Empowerment is a process by which we grow and evolve so that we have a better sense of ourselves and our truth and feel a sense of confidence in claiming what our rights are. And we want all our children to have a sense of agency and autonomy in their relationships. So that sense of belonging and that empowerment actually is really important. Um, So that's sort of a very sort of layered definition of what healthy relationships are. In its simplest form, it's a sense of belonging. No, I, I think that that's a great place to start because I think that developing a sense of belonging within our kids starts at a very young age. And it, I'm going to say, I think that we also have to have a sense of applying for ourselves to be able to then teach it to our kids too. It, so yeah. if you, as parents, don't feel like you have a sense of belonging, you know, within yourself, within your own community, within your family, you know, there's a whole nother conversation that has to be had here. But for those, let's say that you feel like you have that for yourself, because I think we could go down a rabbit hole and really start talking about, you know, internally parents, what, could, what do you have to do even before your parents, Right to be able to set yourself up for success. And maybe there's some some things that you want to talk about there. But if not, let's jump into at least like from early years to be able to start developing that sense of belonging within your kids. What do you need to do? I, I mean, I think you bring up a really good point, right? That of course, the most powerful way to parent is to role model what we're trying to teach our kids. And you know, a lot of people will say like, well, I'm not feeling that within myself right now. So how am I supposed to impart that to my children? And you can narrate that and you can be really honest and you can role model healthy vulnerability to say, I know this is an important value, an important essential element to healthy relationships. I'm still learning. I'm trying to figure that out. What I know is that this is what I'm aspiring to. This is where I am. And this is how I'm working on it. And I think those sorts of lessons are really important for kids and that we, we, it doesn't mean that we can't do this, that actually anybody can do this. And so I think when we start with kids, of course, language, being concrete and explicit about a few things in particular, and then identifying these family values or ethical, you know, family values are very individual and specific to certain parents, individuals, as well as families. And then they're sort of like, ethics or morals that are more universal, right? And community shared amongst the community. So I'm going to recommend when it comes to healthy relationships that you be talking about intimacy with your kids. Now, a lot of times in our culture, we hear the word intimacy and immediately we sexualize it. And that's actually not, you know, entirely true that we actually need to understand that intimacy is just a sense of closeness of, you know, feeling particularly emotionally and or physically close to someone. Um, And so I like to talk like for younger kids, when you read them a bedtime story, um, you know, before going to sleep, that is a time and you can narrate this for your kids where you're role modeling language, you allow for questions, you bring things up, but you're really concretely teaching as you have conversation and they say, okay, so, you know, we're, we're coming up with a special time that we've set aside in which we really focus on each other and we pay attention, where we share something that's fun that we enjoy together, 
where we feel a sense of reassurance afterwards because it's a safe thing for us to do. Sometimes sleep feels like a vulnerable state of being for for young people and that we're actually going through this ritual of this intimacy, this closeness that's reassuring before we enter into that state of being, right? So that's a form of intimacy. Talking about hugs and physical intimacy. Here's an example of that, that, that we just tell people that like when we hug, that is an expression of feelings. And the most important thing is that it actually means the same thing to both people and that it should be for good feelings, hugs, that, that they feel they make us feel good and that we feel safe with those people. So that's sort of a start. As you move on, you can scaffold it across the ages and start to discuss things in terms of who you feel close to, who you don't, what are the reasons, what are the emotional, what's the emotional language and literacy that we need to have to be able to express those things. So that's what I would say in terms of intimacy. The other important piece is empathy. And empathy is something that you cultivate across developmental stages too. Empathy starts with appreciation. So acknowledging that there are other people in our lives who contribute to our lives in, in positive ways, that you know we aren't doing everything alone, that there are people in our lives who help us, we recognize that and we appreciate that. And then as kids get older, that becomes gratitude and later that becomes empathy in which you can actually feel with people. Um, you know, feeling with others, not sorry for them. That's a really important distinction. And there's cognitive empathy, there's heartfelt empathy. You know, the cognitive piece is, and this is important, when you see your kid experiencing emotion or they're in an interpersonal dynamic in which there is emotion happening, that you narrate for them and give them a language. What do you see on someone's face? What is their expression telling us? How would we know if that's correct? We're going to think that and assume that, but let's find out by asking. And how might we ask in a way that they're going to tell us the truth, right? So, you know, those sorts of things that lead to empathy, recognizing emotion in other people, honoring what that emotion is as their truth, feeling with people because we appreciate them and we feel gratitude towards them and so we care. And then the third piece So intimacy, empathy, the third piece is that language around bodily autonomy too. So we start with that when kids are younger by saying like, what's your space bubble, right? Like a lot of preschools use this language. What's your space bubble? What do you feel comfortable when people are in that space bubble? What if they come into your space bubble without your permission? What is some language? What are your words that you can say to express, right? Like that's my space bubble. Please step out of it or give me some more space or, you know, this is what I, this is how you're making me feel. You're making me feel uncomfortable. Please step back. You know, things like that. Body parts. Be real about body parts. Be specific. Use the real language for them. We don't do that with any other aspects of our bodies except for those that we tend to sexualize later, right? Like, so what we would refer to as quote unquote privates. I actually think that Privates need to have a name. The privacy piece, it's not a bad thing because private means that they're just for you, right? Like, and that's actually a really good concept for kids to understand. But the point is, I think that those three primary components are essential to create the foundation. And then you can scaffold across this developmental stages beyond that. 
so much to unpack there. But I guess we've talked about some of the the founding blocks on those three levels in looking at what we need to start with and building some of those pieces into the conversations that we have, the the family discussions and and you know, whether it be at bedtime or during the day or whatever it is. I'm sure there's some resources out there for those younger age kids, whether it be books or or things that you can read and then have further conversations. Do you have any resources that you might share with someone that has a young child that you're trying to really spur those conversations? Yeah, I mean, just the concept of that, how we treat each other matters is really important and that most kids' books actually feature some sort of relationship in which some things happen, media, movies, cartoons, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things we can address and draw concrete examples from that are part of our everyday lives. And that's actually really important. You're starting media literacy when you're doing that. So what did you think about how that, you know, that character treated the other character? Do you think that that person was, was telling the truth? Do you think there was something else that was influencing how they acted? You know, do they, did they treat each other in a way that felt caring to you? How did you know? What did you see? How do you think it felt? Is there anything that you can connect it to in your own life? Right? So having those conversations about any book in particular, if we're talking specifically around sexuality, you know, Sex is a Funny Word is a great book. The Roby Harris series is really good. It's not the stork. Um, and those those actually go across the developmental stages. In middle school, there's one called Wait, What? by Heather Karina and Isabella, I think it's Rothheim. Um, that's a great book. And then Heather Karina goes on to, to have a, a book for teens and 20s, kids in their teens and 20s. There's My Body book. There's also, you know, Natterson is fantastic in terms of what she has available to people. I'd be happy to provide a list of resources that your readers could then reference. We can put these in the notes today to make sure that you can access these great resources for your own um, sake. Now, as we look at these three levels that you've been talking about and your kids are getting older, I have tween and teens. The conversation there is much different in looking at the future. How do you take what you, those kind of those building blocks from the younger ages and transition as they are getting into their teen and tween years? And what are some of the conversation those conversation blocks or, or conversation, you know, uh, pillars that we should be having with kids as they get into those years? Well, I, I mean, you know, the word that the topic that everybody's discussing now is consent. And that's a really important one. And you start that from the time kids are little, right? It's basically educating people on how to treat you and listening for how others want to be treated. And I actually don't think it's that different. I think that fundamentally, it's pretty much the same in terms of our values and how we treat each other matters. Um, and it's really important for us to help kids understand that the expectations they should have in their relationships that are romantic and are sexual or crushes, for instance, which is where it all starts, typically around fifth grade, is are, are the same values that we hold in all of our relationships with people. And that's really important. So when we are intimate with someone, what is it then that we need? to feel like we can be vulnerable in healthy ways so that we can authentically connect with people so that we can build trust through shared experiences. 
you know, those sorts of things and just being really explicit about the language, giving them the vocabulary, but also encouraging them to connect to the embodied experience. So the emotional and embodied experience of something. We tend to focus on the doing versus the feeling, right? Like, so focusing more on what kids do versus how they feel. And it's really important to actually connect the two. A lot of times we talk about those things like they're separate. Um, And so, you know, I think consent is important. They need to understand. I use a lot of metaphor when I'm talking with kids because they are concrete thinkers all the way through you know, those teen years. And so for instance, consent, I talk about French fries, you know, how many people I talk to adults about this too. You have your favorite fries. You can really play that up. I mean, you bring a plate of fries to the table, any table of friends or family members, what starts to happen? It's almost a universal experience where hands will come in and start picking off people's fries. They come darting in without asking. And I'll actually ask a bunch of like, who's okay with that? hundred percent without assuming context, right? That there's some deeper best friend relationship or whatever else. And the majority of, of young people and adults alike will say, well, not me. How come? Well, because they belong to me. Nobody asked. Well, what's so important about asking? Good manners show we care about people. It's like they, they care enough about how you feel about something that's yours that they give you the choice. And that feels good. That feels good to me. And then I ask, well, what gets in the way then of saying something? Well, I've been taught to share. I want to come across as generous. I want to, you know, make sure that I not introduce any contention. I don't want anyone to judge me, that kind of a thing. And it really translates into relationships, right? And that's really an issue of consent um, because what belongs to you, your French fries, not to minimize sexual consent with French fries, but what belongs to you in a, in a sexual context, your body, your body belongs to you. So you get to choose how you touch and get touched because it belongs to you. You know, that's an example of how to talk about consent. When I talk about relationship and sexual communication, I use something called think of a bear and think of a bear is basically you have, you know, if you have some people or I asked you like, think of a bear and I thought of a bear and we compared them, they would probably be different. We could have a super com- superficial conversation about bears. But when it comes to our own specific bears, if we really got into what it was doing, where it was, all those sort of things, they'd probably be different. I could be thinking of a polar bear. You might be thinking of a grizzly bear, right? So when it comes to relationship and sexual communication, it's really important to think of a bear. And meaning, we can't assume what someone's bear is doing. Yours may be in a cave. Mine may be fishing. Your mine may be a polar bear. Yours may be, you know, a grizzly bear that's brown in the woods. Mine might be on ice in the North Pole, right? So we actually have to take the time to figure out what someone's bear looks, sounds, and feels like. Again, th- there's so much here that I think that <laughs> all of us just need to step back, think about, and then be able to reflect for yourself on where you are at. And I'm sure that for some of you, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I am so far behind. I haven't had these conversations. My kid is, you know, uh, 10 years old or 16 years old, or, you know, we've never had these conversations. What do you say to those people that are really worried now that they're listening to this and they're saying, oh my gosh, what (laughs) what the heck did I not do all these other years? And what can I do to start now? 
Yeah. I mean, you can start whenever, right? Like it's never too late. Um, when I went on book tour, I actually had people who approached me and said, I have to read it again for my kid. Cause the first time I read your book, I was thinking about my own relationships and how I, you know, which is actually an important piece, um, for all of us. And so I think that for those folks, media is a great place to start. Media is a really good place to start and just being direct and honest and narrating where you are with this. I realized, I listened to this podcast and I realized that I have not been having these conversations the way I probably have wanted to or thought I should. Most parents have thought about this, but it's just really difficult. And so, you know, to just say that it's, it's hard for me. I never had these conversations myself. I recognize the value in them. And there are a few things I'm really hoping that you have, that we've taught you. I mean, all parents have been teaching values, I got to believe, all along. And so it's really about like, help me understand what you've picked up on from my parenting of how we treat people and what's most important in relationships. You can ask questions like that. Um, media and what your kids are watching, a great place to start because it doesn't feel as intensely intimate if you haven't been doing this all along over time and that you can actually talk about characters and media that they're watching as if they're people, right? So, you know, be curious. This is your job, right? To become really curious in a genuine and sincere way while suspending judgment and that you have to be patient and you're collecting small moments. It's not one gigantic talk. So maybe when you're you know, it's, it's late. Teenagers talk more when it's late. They know they're smart. They know we're tired and we'll listen more and talk less. And they sort of come alive after hours when we want to be asleep. Um, and so, you know, maybe the movie's over and you say something like, do you think they both got to walk away with their dignity? And that's it. And tell me, what did, what did you see? What did you notice? What led you to that answer? I really want to understand. I actually noticed that this happened. And so I was thinking X, Y, and Z. Let them become an expert in their own experience and their own perspective and start to engage in those conversations. And you can then, and that's really about relationships. And then as things get more sophisticated, you can say, so have you heard about, or I read about this thing. Do you think that's true about what people are calling teen culture? Let them become an expert sociologist in what they're observing amongst their friends and peers and what the adults think about that. Kids love to talk about that stuff. If your kid is suspicious and puts their hands over their ears and starts yelling, you know, like, no, I know what you're doing. Or my kids know when I trap them in the car, um, when they have nowhere to go. And that is a gift. It is a gift. You can say then sometimes the most important conversations are the most difficult to have or vice versa. Sometimes the most difficult conversations are the most important ones to have. And this is not easy for me too. It is super uncomfortable I've never had these conversations myself or the ones that I did were not positive. And I really want you to have a positive relationship with yourself and others when you feel the time is right. So we got to figure out how to talk about some of these things. And it's sort of like, remember when you made your kids feel like there was democracy in your house, but there really wasn't. It was like, okay, there are these three things that you can choose from, but you chose the three things that they were choosing from. It's kind of the same thing. You can say, okay, look, to be responsible as your parent, we got to talk about X, Y, and Z. You can choose when, you can choose how we start, 
but it's got to happen because there's some really important things I want you to know and just be real about the whole thing. And any of us who are in a sustained relationship know that that's true, that sometimes the hardest conversations are the most important ones to have. And so we're just going to have to figure out how to do it together. It's so true. Now, earlier you talked about a book tour, and I want to make sure that we talk about this book that you that you have, which is called Sex, Teens, and Everything in Between. Tell me a little bit about the book, what you cover in the book. I haven't had a chance actually to read the book yet, but it sounds like a perfect book to be able to talk to your daughters about and to try and to be able to get a better picture of, especially for kids my age, uh, of where they're at and what they're dealing with. But but tell me a little bit more about this book. So the book, you know, when I would go, I'm a national consultant and I travel to different states and different schools. And when I would do parenting workshops, I would do my thing and talk about consent and use, you know, think of a bear and French fries and all that stuff. People would come up to me afterwards and they would say, well, this is what's going on with my child. And I would say, do you have any suggestions? So I would say, okay, ask a few questions, have suggestions. They say, wait a minute, can you say that again? And they stick their phone in front of my face and try and record what I was suggesting. And what I realized was that parents really needed concrete tools themselves. They needed questions. They needed language. They needed guidance and when to embrace these opportunities, how to approach the conversation, Um, Because we didn't have a lot of this ourselves historically when we were younger. So I thought, how can I broaden my reach? How can I do that? And I put it in a book. But I also wanted it to be for kids. Because in those same communities, I would be working with children and they would all ask the same questions. Whether I was in Pennsylvania or Colorado or California, they would be asking the same questions. I understand the definition of consent, but what does that actually mean for me on Saturday night, right? Like, so, you know, so then I created a book with buckets. Basically, it's about consent um, and sexual consent in particular, and then healthy relationships. So what consent is, what it looks, sounds, and feels like in practice, what the legal responsibilities are, but then also what gets in the way? Like, what is it about our culture that we can identify that our kids are saturated with that can get in the way of those things actually happening, of authentic connection, of healthy relationships? And then what are we aspiring to? There are studies, and I could, you know, nerd out on those things that have to do with our kids are grossly underprepared for caring and loving relationships because we don't talk about love. A lot of people are not talking about love in concrete and explicit ways with kids when it comes to relationships. We're checking off boxes like modern parents do, which is all well-intentioned around safe sexuality practices, you know, consent, all that stuff. But what are we actually aspiring to? And what does that look sound and feel like when we've got it? So there's a whole chapter on love and pleasure and responsibility when it comes to that. And it's all based in scenarios. So I am so blessed to have kids feel comfortable sharing with me the stories of their lives because they have a power that none of us adults do. And that's to know what kids are doing when we're not around. And they will share a lot and they ask a lot of questions. Um, And so there's about a hundred scenarios in the book. And that's how I teach through the writing people to think about and approach the conversations, the little vignettes, little scenarios um, that are true um, about kids and their interactions. And then I deconstruct them. 
I provide questions you could ask to start conversation. I give resources so that you can make more informed decisions and teach about those specific subjects. And then there's a section for kids, which are frequently asked questions. And I provide a soundbite answer to role model language for parents, but also it's like a kid raised their hand in my class and I'm answering what they want to know. And it's also sexual assault prevention. So there's an anthology of survivors' stories. There's appendix, um, there's an appendices, a glossary of terms, but then also like what to do if your kid's accused of assault, right? When consent is absent, what to do if your kid is assaulted or they have a friend who's assaulted. But also throughout the book are, you know, refusal skills and ways to be to prevent and to manage what's going on as well. Well, I truly appreciate all your time today, you you sharing this. I will put a link in the notes today with your book, but if people want to find out more about you and your book and everything about you, where should they go? Um, I have a website and it's just my name, shafiazaloom.com. Um, and there you'll find articles I've written and published. You'll find press on what I do, as well as a lot on the book, um, a bit about me and how to contact me too. Well, I truly appreciate it and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be